Good afternoon. Thanks, Auntie Val, for that welcome. Um, maybe we wouldn't be having this discussion if we had a bit more respect for country and culture, I think. Um, thanks, everyone, for coming today. I know some people were torn between coming here and going to Sydney for the March in March. I'm Deborah Smith. I'm the Secretary of the Blue Mountains Unions and Community, which is our new name for the Blue Mountains Unions Council. Unfortunately, one of our advertised speakers, Dr Jenny Mays, couldn't make it today. She sent her apologies, but Dr John Tomlinson is taking her place. And he was her, he was her supervisor for her PhD, so I think you know what he's talking about. Thanks also to Dr Victor Quirk, who's our second speaker today. And Victor's spoken to us before about the policies of full employment. After both speakers are finished, we'll take questions from the audience. Okay, so quoting US Senator Democrat Elizabeth Warren, there is nobody in this country who got rich on their own. Nobody. You built a factory out there, good for you, but I want to be clear. You moved your goods to market on roads the rest of us paid for. You hired workers the rest of us paid to educate. You were safe in your factory because of police forces and fire forces that the rest of us paid for. You didn't have to worry that marauding bands would come and seize everything at your factory. Now look, you built a factory and it turned into something terrific or a great idea. God bless. Keep a hunk of it. But part of the underlying social contract is that you take a hunk of that and pay forward for the next kid that comes along. Social demographer Mark McCrindle's analysis of ABS data shows that in Australia the wealthiest 20% receive 50% of the income, while the poorest 20% only receive 4%. A recent report estimates that if unpaid work was measured in economic data, the Australian economy would be regarded as a third larger. By itself, the unpaid childcare done by women is estimated to contribute $345 billion to the economy, larger than any other sector in the currently measured economy, including finance. It's not easy to distinguish all of the ways that people contribute to the greater good, but it is easy to disregard them. And there has to be a fairer way. Why do we sing along with the extremely wealthy as their allies in government divide us against each other with words like dog bludger, leaner, fraudster and union thugs? My former CPSU comrades at the Department of Human Services, which is Centrelink Medicare and Child Support, took industrial action last week. They've been trying to negotiate an enterprise agreement since the old one expired on the 30th of June 2014. Most of them are on well below average wage and most of them haven't had a pay rise since 2013. In recent years, 5,000 permanent jobs have been cut from DHS and new staff are more likely to be hired as temporaries or casuals. Last year, 36 million phone calls to DHS went unanswered. In the general community, there's low wages growth, erosion of conditions and increasingly insecure work. And it was recently announced that 1.1 million Australians are underemployed. They're working, but they don't have enough hours. They need or want more. Automation continues to reduce the number of workers in many industries, but it's also created new industries and new jobs. The impact on jobs with the developments in artificial intelligence remains to be seen, but we need to ensure that more than a few people are the winners. 
Our discussion today is about guaranteed or universal basic income, a social security payment which recognises that every citizen should be able to expect a basic standard of living, a roof over their head, food and basic utilities. Most Australian social security payments require some sort of activity on the part of their recipients. Sometimes it's called mutual obligation, depending on what, which, which payment you're talking about. Only some escape the requirement to be doing something apart from being poor. Most people regard these as reasonable expectations and many even envy those who they judge to be getting a free ride. Even people on welfare can think this way about others in sim situations similar to their own. So is a universal or guaranteed basic income a fair way to distribute collectively created wealth? How would it affect the power of workers to insist on decent working conditions? How could it work? How could we pay for it? Shouldn't organisations like Centrelink employ more people when they have millions of phone calls going un unanswered? And would removing the hoop jumping of mutual obligations give people the opportunity to spend their time more productively? And who gets to decide what productive is anyway? Dr Quirk and his associate, Professor Bill Mitchell, have spoken to us before about full employment, and as a result, BMUC decided to endorse and promote policies which lead to full employment. Uh, we don't have a policy about basic income. We've invited our speakers so that we can learn more about it, the pros and the cons. 